This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumper. Joined across the table, well, that is Jack Foster. Today is Thursday, December 7th, and a little bit of breaking news right off the bat here. We, we are recording in the morning, kind of right before lunchtime at noon. Uh, Ryan, breaking news on the board. Yeah, Jordan Seaton commits to uh, Colorado over... Well, I was going to say a top group, but Colorado wasn't even really in his top group. <laughs> but uh, it, it felt like most of us, and the days leading up was Tennessee, Oregon, Ohio State. So uh, a pretty big recruiting loss for Tennessee there uh, this morning. Yeah, it really felt like kind of some of the final reports going on this week were, were that at least Tennessee was in a good position. I think when you hear that from the people running other uh, other sites, an Ohio State site and something, you, you, you kind of track along with that and you say, okay, well, that might be something indicative of the future, but a little bit of a surprise as Jordan Seaton goes to Colorado. We had all the work ready, but he's going to go ahead to uh, to be with Prime. Yeah, but I mean, even you're right of those people saying, you know, they felt like Tennessee buzz, but all these recruiting people, or, or most of them at least, you know, if they feel confident, they're putting crystal balls, they're putting predictions, and there was never any prediction. I mean, I think Jordan Seaton had everybody guessing yeah. till the very end. So while Tennessee was kind of maybe the most popular, not even really pick, but most popular notion fellow is gonna make the most sense yeah i felt like it maybe made the most sense it it was it never felt like oh wow tennessee's definitely going to get jordan seaton so uh big loss and i I mean i would say at the same time i I sent sent this in a a little group chat to jackson earlier this morning i said you know the next two weeks or 13 days i think it's going to be crazy either way and jordan seaton's recruitment is yeah tennessee tries to either hold him off till signing day uh, or maybe make a run at him so i'm sure tennessee and, and other Contenders will, will probably still do their due diligence until he signs uh, on the dotted line, but uh, certainly just kind of a shocker in the sense that I don't think anybody was really mentioning Colorado. Yeah, no doubt about it. So again, that was just a couple of minutes ago. Right before we did our recording, we kind of moved things around so that we would be here for that record or for that announcement if it did come. But again, he is going to Colorado in the meantime. Uh, we'll see how things shake out over the next couple of weeks like Ryan was talking about. Uh, but that being put to rest, though, how are you guys doing? Good morning. Happy Thursday. What's going on? Oh, not too much. Uh, just uh, been a chaotic morning, mainly because of Seton. We knew he was committing today, but we didn't even know what time until like an hour ago. So, uh, yeah, all doing well as uh, we get into to portal craziness and basketball season keeps on uh, chugging along. There you go, Jack. How things going? Yeah, this week's flown by, man. It feels like it was just the weekend and it was Selection Sunday, but the week's flown by and... Basketball season's in full swing. This is now when I acknowledge it's basketball season. I am not a basketball season in November guy. But now, yeah, it's full on <laughs> basketball season. I'm down. So you're, you're, you're a good middle, You're a middle grounder. You don't wait until it's I college guess, basketball season. It's not NBA season. Yeah. Yet. I'll say that. I guess really you're a third you're a third <laughs> of the way. I feel like the people in college basketball are either from the jump, like you after the college football regular season ends, after the college football season ends in January, and then you have, I think, most people in the broader after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Is really when they start paying attention for the last, you know, month of the regular season or so. But, I mean, I'll start paying attention. I watched hoops this week, so let's go. There you go. I watched, yeah, I was at Tennessee game. And I've been, obviously, watching Tennessee games all season, but, like, I watched the UConn game. I watched some other college basketball games, so. There you go. It's been a good week. 
plenty to get into this week, but uh, yeah, glad everybody at the table is doing well. Uh, would anybody like to uh, rip off a, a Lady Vols hot take real quick? I mean, I, I think that's obviously what the people came here for. They said, Jordan Seaton, we don't need to know about it. The Citrus Bowl, don't give us any of that. Talk about the Middle Tennessee game. Somebody um, fire off a hot take. Yeah, it's not good, and that's not a hot take. If, if it was a hot take, <laughs> I'd try to find a silver lining because there's nothing positive coming from a loss like that. And it's in Huntsville, so it's not like it was in TBA, but still, losing by 11 to MTSU. Tennessee had never, ever lost MTSU before wow. last night. They were 22-0, yeah. and, yeah. and it's Kelly Harper's first loss to an in-state opponent. I think that is uh, just a horrific sign of maybe what's to come this year they're four and five i mean if they're at all going to be in jeopardy of missing the tournament it's it's going to get ugly for that program so could be i mean you don't want to speculate but could be a coaching change for sure yeah i mean i think one going back to your point about the never or the stat you had of the never losing the mtsu i'd be curious just to see what their record against in-state schools is and yeah. I was gonna say besides Vanderbilt, but Vander—I mean, I don't—I think they've only lost to Vanderbilt like once or twice, you know, very few times in program history, and I doubt they've lost to many other schools in the state. You know, I'm sure they'll get better when Rakia Jackson comes back. I mean, it's yeah. clear that she's just a, a massive piece of the team, which we knew. Uh, but at the same time, it's—it's it's you MTSU. lose one player, you got to be, and it's even past MTSU. I mean, they were—they blew a massive lead at home to Notre Dame last week, who was also missing some of their top players. You get blown out at home by Ohio State. They've been – it wasn't like last night was just one a one-off. Yeah. They've completely collapsed. Without it Ricky feels like they cannot beat a ranked team. Yeah. Like if, if the opponent's ranked, chalk it up to an L. And the stat is now it's – it's a lot more games than maybe you think a lot of, you know, just out-of-conference games happen. But 261-62-2 all-time Lady Vols basketball record against Insane Punch. Say that again. 261-62-2. Okay. I'm surprised per UTSports.com. I'm sure that's right. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to see it since Pat Summit took over. Well, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, it, I just can't believe they've lost 62 games to state opponents. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird. Um, I would like I said, I was surprised by the stat too. But things aren't going well for Lady Vols basketball and. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it, it even kind of, you know, the game and the score and the box score and some of the analysis, it, it made our it made its way into our RTI group text last night, so we kind of thought about it, and, and certainly it was, people were freaking out about it on social media. So, of course, you know, we've had a lot of football going on. We've had a little, uh, plenty of men's basketball going on, but we still got our eye on the Lady Vols as well. Uh, but that won't be the main topic of today's podcast. That was just kind of getting it out of the way. Guys, there are plenty to talk about with both football and basketball. You know, we were in here last week, and we really wanted to get into some more basketball conversation, just the way that the football recap ended up being. Kind of cut a couple minutes off of that basketball conversation, so we're going to really play that into effect here today. Uh, but first, got to talk about the big bowl news, and that was on yeah. Selection Sunday. Tennessee gets selected to the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. They're going to be taking on number 17, Iowa. Tennessee, by the way, stays at number 21 in the college football playoff poll. Uh, and that game is going to be played in Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. Here's something that I was looking at yesterday. And, you know, a lot of the projections, we all wrote about it. We all saw them heading into the uh, Selection Sunday period. And Tennessee was, you know, had a couple projections against some pretty good offensive teams, right? They, they were projected against 
North Carolina in a couple, and I believe North Carolina is the fourth offensive team in the country. Projected against Notre Dame by a couple of people. They're they're about a top 30 offense in the country. Even NC State, who is in the top 100, but a little bit maybe more back right there. Tennessee ended up drawing one of the worst offensive teams, if not the worst yeah. FBS offensive team in the country. It, it is something pretty remarkable. But for every bit of struggle that Iowa has on the offensive side of the ball, their defense makes up for it. They're an unbelievable defensive unit that's only let up 15 touchdowns over the course of 13 games. This is an Iowa team that went 10-2 and over the course of the regular season. They did get beat down by Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game. But hey, you make that game that's a pretty good success. That game ended up being a score of 26-0. Here's a crazy stat for you. And I'm pretty sure you guys have probably seen this bouncing around Instagram or Twitter, wherever it is. Michigan had 87 punts this year. Hmm. For, for comparison, right, Jackson Ross had 48, right? Oh, or wow. for all the people that really felt like Tennessee was a punt machine and things like that, Iowa had double what Tennessee <laughs> had. Here's the other crazy thing. They also forced their opponents into punting exactly 87 times. That is crazy. No way. So their defense has been phenomenal, right? For for every bit that their offense has been bad in punting the ball away, their defense has been getting the ball back to their offense. It truly is a one-for-one situation. I can't remember what the exact number is. If you want to go and find it, it's over on rocketopinsider.com. I wrote it. I'm just, I, I, I can't go find it right now. Iowa's punting unit had about 1,000 more yards, had about 1,100 more yards than the, 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 no, 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 than the Iowa offense had this year. Iowa's offense (laughs) had 3,105 total yards this season. They punted for over 4,100 total yards. That is incredible, right? But all of that just kind of goes to say, that's a long-winded way to say that, you know, it's a poor offensive team. It's an extremely stout defensive team. Uh, and this is a really fun matchup for Tennessee, I think, moving forward. Uh, I mean, fun. It's not fun. Fun is in fun is the last word. I would interesting use. word choice. Fun is in maybe maybe interesting was probably the better Intriguing. word right there. Intriguing Definitely. is is one, it's, but just a a, a a clash, if you will. Yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see how Tennessee's offense can fare against this Iowa defense, especially you know if Joe Milton plays. We've seen Tennessee's offense really struggle, and this could get really ugly. I think if Joe Milton starts for Tennessee, and it could obviously if Nico plays too. We haven't seen a lot of them, but this could be an ugly game. I still like Tennessee's chances. I mean, you look at Iowa, their three losses. One was to Minnesota. Both scores like 13-12 or 15-12. Had the fair catch, you know, thing that was really controversial. But their other two losses were Penn State, Michigan. They got blanked in both. 31-0 to Penn State, 26-0 to Michigan. So when they played top 15-ish competition, top 10-ish competition, they were totally uncompetitive and couldn't score. And I feel like Tennessee will be able to pretty much shut down Iowa's offense. So this is a game where you have to put on your sickos cap and just dive in, man, because it's like tonight's Thursday Thursday night football game. Patriots, Steelers, you just got to get over the the mental hurdle that it's going to be a terrible game to watch, and you just got to find the pockets of enjoyment you can. You know, Tennessee's defense ranks 39th in the country, and again, total defense. Northwestern ranks about three spots lower right there at 42, and I know you obviously can't compare them, and that's tough. But, right, it's a little bit of a comparable range, and both of them within only a couple spots from each other. Uh, Northwestern lost to Iowa 10-7, to 
right? So <laughs> to me, that kind of shows you, okay, Iowa let up 10 points, or excuse me, Northwestern let up 10 points to Iowa. They have sort of, in the ninth game of the season, they have sort of a somewhat comparable defense to Tennessee, just being right there at the end of 12 or 13 games or whatever. So at the end of the day, like, Tennessee is not going to need... 30 points to win this game. Absolutely not. But every point they they do get is going to be well-earned and hard to come by exactly. uh, against this Hawkeye defense. Yeah, and I mean, I almost, you were talking about earlier about how, you know, stout this Iowa defense is, and it certainly it is by the numbers. And, you know, my natural instinct was kind of to fight it back against that just because. It's Big Ten West schools they're playing. Yeah, exactly. And they played Penn State, gave up 31 points. They gave up, played Michigan, they gave up 26 points, which obviously that's not like, oh, wow, they were just terrible in those games, but not great. But at the same time, I mean, Tennessee's offense isn't good. And if you're really going to be able to, I think, take advantage of Iowa's defense, you're going to have to be able to throw the ball well and use your speed on the perimeter. And we have not seen Tennessee really be able to beat anybody this year by passing the football. So uh, I'm with you. You know, I I kind of go back and forth a little bit on the matchup of how much I think Tennessee can, you know, take advantage of it. I think it's easy to point back to the – what I guess was, I don't know what year the game was played in, but the Gator Bowl after the 2014 season when Tennessee whooped up on Iowa, I think it was 28 nothing early in the second quarter. That's kind of easy to point to, but I just don't know if Tennessee has the offense necessarily to do that. Uh, some betting odds numbers. Rick, you said that Tennessee's not going to need to score 30 points to win this game. Well, the over-under in this one is 35 and a half. <laughs> Tennessee is seven-point yeah. favorites. <clears throat> That's good wow. number because you could see... Uh, no, I'm still taking the under. You're, like, still t- you're still taking the under? Like I think about a 21 to 14 game. I think that's that's more scoring than you'd expect, and that's still 35. So I'm 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 taking that under. Yeah, I yeah. saw it open at 37 and a half, and I was hammering it. 35 and a half, I pumped the brakes a tad, but I'm still going under. I mean, I, I could see it 14, 10, 17, 10, kind of in that realm. But Iowa I, I wonder loves 13, 10 ball games. Yes, they, they do. If you go back and look at the yards. schedule, they really do. Um, you know, and, and so it is just kind of funny that, you know, after this whole season and kind of you, you watch from a distance, but all the talk about just Iowa's archaic offense and the prehistoric passing game that the Hawkeyes have and everything like, like that, that's eventually who Tennessee matches up with in the bowl game. So uh, you're right. I'll go back and correct myself. I think that might have just been coming off the tongue, but not a fun matchup by any stretch of the imagination, but there is intrigue on both sides. I mean, this is, you want to talk about, you got the college football playoff games on New Year's Day this year because it's the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl. What a what a lead in. Iowa, Tennessee. <laughs> what a, to get everybody excited for some playoff football. Yeah, that's how you wake up the day I, after New Year's. I think more people might be watching that, that Outback Bowl game. It, it, though, again, I mean, you say that, I can't imagine Jaden Daniels is possibly going to play in that game, and Malik Neighbors probably won't either, so that might not be too much better. But Wait, uh, you said 35 and a half? Yes, that's what Action Network has it at. Okay, they've only played two. Iowa only played two games against non-power five competition. Only one time when they played power five competition this year did did it go over thirty five and a half. Which is funny because and in, it was against Michigan State. In the <laughs> in the Penn State and Michigan games, we talked about they gave up thirty one and twenty six, and they couldn't get over thirty five because they didn't score points exactly. in either yeah. of those games. But ten games this season against power five competition of eleven. They went under 35 and a half. Man, Kirk Ferentz has been there for a long time. 
Uh, he, he's one of the top three longest tenured coaches in college football. Has this just always kind of been his mo? The the heavy defensive um, teams, the offensive teams yes. that struggle, or is this a little bit of a new thing right now? Yes, it's always been defense driven, but I think the offense has not struggled quite like this. Like this is a very very bad offense compared to most. Yeah, I will say I feel like they have gotten less defense touchdowns. Like like I feel like a lot of years you'd look back and their scoring numbers will be better because. They got a lot of defense touchdowns. Who was uh, J.C. Jackson? I mean, he had, what, like four or five interceptions or pick six one year. And they haven't gotten, I don't think, any defense scores all year, which I remember thinking that was a funny aspect of the Brian Ferentz contract where he had to score, what, was it 25 points per game to keep yeah. his job? Is It didn't matter if the offense got him. He just needed those points. And it was funny that this was the year that they got, like, no <laughs> help with defense yeah, no touchdowns. Help. No help at all. One of the other things that I always find intriguing kind of around this bowl season, one of the reasons why some of these games are harder to predict than others is you just don't know who's going to be available for the game, whether that be from the transfer portal or from the opt-out. Now, Tennessee has had a few in the transfer portal right now. I, I guess we'll get into that here in a little while. Some of these SEC teams, are it's just a fire sale into the transfer Free portal. Fall, I mean, man. Kentucky is, Florida is. There's there's a couple that, that just is a flood uh, into the portal right now. Tennessee... Certainly not in that category. I believe they have five, maybe six, if I'm forgetting one or, or something like that. But not a huge number. No opt-outs yet, but of course, you know that that'll come by later. Uh, but that's also one of the one of the the aspects that's kind of hard to pick. And I haven't gone and done all the full research. You know, like we did against Clemson last year. Kind of we knew who the big names were, mm-hmm. who was going to potentially do that. We will have that out here in the next couple of days. Or, so- have a good look for you over on racketopinsider.com. But certainly that's one of the big, you know, kind of impacts on this game as well. Who's going to actually be playing it? Oh, I know you're going to hit the lab and grind that Deacon Hill tape. Better, <laughs> <Rick>. <laughs> you're exactly right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that is uh, Tennessee's bowl game. We'll, we'll have more information on that, obviously, as we go and as we continue the month of December here. But uh, You guys, Cheez-Its fans? Yeah, it's, I'm more of a goldfish guy, but I like Cheez-Its too. I think Cheez-Its the best the king, just right? finger food snack. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Agree. The extra toasty, phenomenal. Oh, I'm not an extra toasty I can't, guy. I can't do it without the extra toasty. <laughs> yep, that's the only kind I buy. Wow. When I'm making lunch at It's home, hard to find at the Kroger. Genuinely. People really? people they know. At Publix, I like think crazy. that everybody knows that extra cheesy is the way to go, or extra toasted is the way to go. People go and get it. Yeah. And whenever I make lunch at home, it's like turkey sandwich and then just an absolute pile of extra toasty Cheez-Its. Yeah. Love it. And also, Orange Bowl, Citrus Bowl. Get it? Citrus? Fruit? Orange? Also a fruit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Connection. I did use... How about it? <laughs> there you go. I did use some sort of Orange Bowl picture for like one of the stories because I was like... yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's the same vibe. Yeah. It's, it's a fruit. Florida. Yeah. Florida back-to-back. Yeah, that's Lots true. of parallels. Lots of parallels. That's right. We will be in uh, Tennessee Athletics goes to Orlando for postseason action right. for the second time in 2023. I know, I know the bowl game is technically in 2024. I'm oh, yeah. I'm going to use it because it fits my narrative right there. So Tennessee goes back to Orlando for a second time. They were pretty successful the first time around. Yeah. They beat, who was it, Louisiana Lafayette in the first game of the March Madness tournament. Yep. And then they beat the Dukies. They beat the Blue Devils uh, in the in the round of 32 uh, in Orlando. So they found plenty of success over in the Amway Center. Tennessee football going to try to find that similar success over in Camping World Stadium. 
Looking forward to it. Excited to ring in the new year in Orlando, Rick? I guess so. I, I We're probably going to be asleep through New Year's. I mean, it's a big what? work day the next day. Oh, you know? come on. What? I'm not young like you anymore. You're, you're not going to be up at midnight? You're young full of energy. Are you I'm serious? Not. I'm not. I might you, be. You're not going to ring in the new year with the boy? I, I, I might, well, we'll come see. Come on, Rick. We, got we me- had a pretty good casino the, the at the last place we went to, so that was pretty you fun. You got to be tearing up the town, man, night before. Oh, Ryan, I don't know if I can do that <laughs> We got a, a 1 p.m. game. I got a flight at 9 a.m. the next day. I got to be, ah, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Looking at the transfer portal, opened up on Monday. Today is Thursday, so it's been open for a good couple of days now. Uh, we mentioned a second ago that there are certainly some teams having a fire sale into the transfer portal. Tennessee is not one of them. Only five players into the portal so far, and I think all of them are, you know, are, are fairly justified. You can see maybe why the reason behind it is. Warren Burrell was the first. He, he's a redshirt senior cornerback. Uh, he went in the day before December. And then on the 4th, on Monday, you had cornerback Brandon Turnage. You had safety Jack Luttrell. You had inside offensive lineman Mo Clipper. And you had inside offensive lineman Addison Nichols. I think Nichols is probably the biggest standout name from that bunch just yeah, because it was a player that he's a player that never – Never felt like we really got to see his opportunity, see what yeah. he could do on the field. He he really played that reserve position for a while, uh, but otherwise, uh, the rest of them again feel fairly justified. And it's certainly not the amount of numbers that other schools have had going into the portal. Yeah, you got two veteran DBs who are likely not going to start, so they go. That makes sense. Jack Latrell, you know, deep reserve safety. That makes sense. Um, and then Mo Clipper, same kind of deal. Yeah, felt like he was always going to be his reserve. But as Nichols, I think you said it, the first uh, four star recruit yeah. of the Hypo era. He was a he was a big get at the time, and you know he started off playing at center, and then you know it felt like if he was going to get on the field, this was the perfect opportunity this past year with the depth concerns, and he did get on the field, but you know obviously it just didn't feel like he was going to be a guy for them moving forward. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying in the sense that he had. A, I think it was disappointing that he didn't make more of the opportunity he had this season, especially when Cooper Mays went down. The fact that he couldn't just lock up being the backup center and playing yeah. in Cooper Mays' stead and they had to move Ollie Lane over. But at the same time, I mean, you look at how terrible, essentially, Tennessee's offensive line depth is. Like, this is still a guy I thought would be would come back and have a chance to – you know, hopefully Tennessee would be able to develop him and he would be a piece going forward that could be a starter, maybe not this coming year. You know, that would kind of be dependent on what Cooper Mays and Javante Spragans do and some of that stuff. But it did feel like he was one of the top backup, maybe the second top backup on the like, interior of, of the offensive line. And you for sure lose Ollie Lane. You could lose two other guys. Andres Carrick is the other guy I would say was ahead of him. Um but just at a spot that Tennessee doesn't have any depth, it felt like he was kind of still, even though this season was a little disappointing, the next guy up. Now, obviously, the fact that if that truly was the case, Tennessee probably would have fought harder to keep him. Um, so, you know, maybe he was never going to be that. But I think it, it's certainly a, a pretty big disappointment that he wasn't ready uh, going forward or to be able to, to potentially step up into a, a starting spot in his, you know, third or fourth season in the program. Well, I guess when Cooper was banged up against Vandy and Ollie moved over, he took over at left guard, right, because of all the injuries? He did, yes, because Carrick was also, also out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Carrick was hurt basically. The, he came and, back for the Kentucky game yeah. and I think got injured quickly yeah. again in that game. Um, Lampley was at right guard because Spraggs was out, of course. And then yes. Dane. Is that right tackle? Yes. Maybe. He was one of the tackle He spots. was at one of the tackle spots. I can't remember which one didn't play. Yeah. But, yeah, because Mincy and 
uh, Campbell were kind of in and out of the lineup yeah. there the last two weeks of the season. Addison Nichols was the second-ranked player in Tennessee's class of 2022, uh, only behind James Pierce, who obviously had a big breakout year this season, Mo Clipper Jr. He was the fifth and final of Tennessee's uh, 2023 offensive lineman in that class, according to 247's rankings. Uh, so you lose the top and the bottom of those five players uh, into the portal, and we see where Tennessee goes from there. But uh, we'll see who else jumps into the portal. Obviously, you can stay on track of everything over at RocketDownPinsetter.com. Uh, but certainly, again, not as many as some other teams in the conference are dealing with. Ryan, you mentioned a, a player uh, a yes. second ago who made a couple more big headlines throughout the week, and that is John Campbell Jr. You know, there are announcement videos, <laughs> and then there are what John Campbell Jr. did, which was phenomenal. Announcement it, memes. Yes, that, that's what it was. It was an announcement <laughs> meme. It, it was hilarious. John Campbell Jr. announces uh, earlier in the week, what was that, maybe Monday night? It was Monday night, yeah. Monday night that he will be returning to Tennessee. Uh, he, he posted a hilarious video, and, you know, I, 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 I'm not even really sure how to explain it. But it kind of had some references to both Josh Heupel and Nico Iamaliava, which again made you made the wheel start turning. Okay, John Campbell Jr. is coming back. Uh, he also tagged Waffle House in the subsequent follow up tweet. The video had nothing to do with Waffle House. Nope. He just wanted to he you know, give Waffle them a shout out. Just let let the let the people the at Waffle people House know. headquarters know that he's going to be back for another year, and that you know he could be available for some opportunities. Of course, the Tennessee fan base helps out with uh, with that rallying cry as well. They they're really trying to get him a a Waffle House deal or a Waffle House connection. Uh, but that's big news for you know meme aside, funny video aside. If you haven't gone it, go go and watch the video. It's pretty funny. All of that aside. This is a big, big announcement for Tennessee. Getting that left tackle back, getting somebody who is familiar with what they're doing, getting somebody that you don't have to kind of uh, develop up into that starting position, a guy who can lock down that left side of the line for your brand-new quarterback. There's not much more you can say about it. It, It's a huge, huge thing for Tennessee. No, it is. It's absolutely massive. And just kind of of what we are talking about with the Addison Nichols stuff. I mean, that was more slanted towards the interior of the offensive line, but Tennessee's offensive tackle depth is just as bad, if not worse, than it is uh, on the interior of the offensive line. And to not get Jordan Seaton, uh, I think, you know, it's obviously not a one-to-one situation because one's a seventh-year senior. One would have been a true freshman. <laughs> um, but it's someone you can trust to play and start right away a, a lot more. And it, it certainly makes... If you didn't get Jordan Seaton and you didn't get John Campbell back, it's like, oh my gosh, he, you better get Gerald Mincy back and you better go find some guys in the portal. And yeah. as I've said on here before and say all the time, finding guys in the portal at offensive tackle is not easy because mm. there's just not a lot of great offensive tackles in general. Once you're on the campus, they schools usually don't let them get away. And then the few that do get in the portal, I mean, it's going to be an absolute war to try to get them. Anybody, everybody's going to want to get them. So yeah, getting Campbell back at certainly mitigates a lot of, I think, the short-term concerns uh, about the offensive line depth, and uh, it's just a big win for Tennessee. They're going to be able to to pencil Campbell in to, to protect uh, the blind side of Nico Iamaliava next year. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I think if you can look at that, and, and again, we don't know yet on Cooper Mays and Javante Spragans, but if you can have those three uh, you know, in kind of that core five on the line, I, I feel pretty good about that position heading in, obviously what, depending on what they do with the final two spots as well. Uh, but yeah, I think that is certainly a, a big win for Tennessee right there. Uh, and then the other kind of interesting report that came out throughout the week, 247 Sports' Matt Zenitz 
reported that linebacker Keenan Peely uh, is expected to back to return back to Tennessee for uh, for his final season next year for the 2024 season. Now there are a couple of complications that have to go with that. Uh, Keenan Peely will, I guess, he will have to apply for a medical red shirt, a med shirt, if you will. Yeah. Uh, for the for the process after you know he got hurt after the first game against Virginia, so Keenan Peely missed a, a gigantic portion of this year's. Uh, season pretty much the vast majority of the season so it, it does look like maybe if as long as things with the uh with the medical red shirt go smoothly it does sound like Keenan Peely will be back to the team next year uh nothing official from Tennessee yet but that was the report there during the week yeah I think you kind of nailed it nailed it right on the head there he's gonna have to get a medical red shirt approved um but if he does that it sounds like he'll be back and and certainly uh, a transfer at Tennessee was excited about last year. Only played, I think it was 23 snaps in, in the opener against Virginia before he got hurt and missed the rest of the season. So uh, that would be a big one. A little bit, I don't know if tangent's the right word. And people aren't going to like this because all these things are helping Tennessee. Keenan Peely would be a seventh-year player. Right. John Campbell is would be will be a seventh-year player. He comes back. This is nonsense. Stop. It's crazy. Stop the <laughs> madness. Stop the count. Somebody stop the madness. He's a, like, 26-year-old playing in college football. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I get all this stuff's good for Tennessee, so, yeah. you know, yeah. y'all don't want to hear Y'all don't want to hear me complain about it. No, so you're I'll, right, though. I'll leave it at that. But it, you're right. It's ridiculous. It is. I'm about it's to wild. Be, I'm about to be in my – next fall, I'll be in my third year out of college, and dudes that were in college – before I was or still playing. <laughs> That's absurd. Keenan Peely is actually like he, 28. He is the crazy one. His yeah. first year was in 2016, right? <laughs> that was my sophomore year of college. And then he went and did a three-year mission in Orlando, Florida, by the way. So he's kind of going back to familiar grounds. Uh, he did a three-year mission, then came back to uh, BYU for the next couple years, had an ACL injury in the meantime, then came over to Tennessee, had the season-ending injury. So that again, that's a that's a guy who's like a who's like a grown man. He's got a wife. He, you know, Kid. I don't believe he's got any kids, no, but he like he's an adult. <laughs> he's a flat-out adult. He is a flat. He is a flat-out adult. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> and, and look, Peely is a little bit like. Of me ripping it, like that aspect of it's fine because he, yeah, sure, sure. You know, he didn't play college football for whatever it was, two or three years there when he would have been in college. But it's just, the, but it's still it's going just, to be his year. seventh year yes, minus it's the year aspect. Yeah, even excluding the time where he left school to be on that mission. Yes, it's like, his seventh season on a college seven. football team <laughs> if he gets the, the medical redshirt. It's man, that's that's crazy. Yeah, uh, just to think so, about starting school in 2016 and then still being in it. So, but Tennessee's linebackers next season feels like I think Aaron Beasley's gone, right? Yes, I don't think Aaron Beasley has eligibility. Oh, Let me okay. Pull up gotcha. my chart, my handy dandy chart. Yes, he, he has no, anyway. he has no eligibility. He's done. Okay, so it's Carter and T. Lander are the newcomers or the up and comers, I should say, and then Peely will be back. So Peely, it feels yeah. like those three will head the room with Elijah Herring, of course, still in there. Elijah Herring, Caleb Perry, probably getting some snaps in there as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you would think those three would probably be. Would beat her top I feel like guys. T. Lander's going to jump Elijah Herring. That's just, yeah, I would I would say probably so. Yeah, um, at least one of those guys I would think would. Yeah, I think T. Lander certainly impressed people inside the building this year, just with work ethic and relentlessness, and and then what he's also put together on the field. Uh, before we move on, just any other kind of uh, transfer portal stories that you guys have seen, wanted to touch on, doesn't have to be Tennessee related. 
but obviously there there's about a well, billion things happening. Nearly, I believe I read yesterday more than three thousand, three thousand players in the transfer portal, and it's only been open for a couple days officially to the full NCAA. So uh, that's pretty crazy. But any other stories you guys have seen that are noteworthy? I guess the big things right now is. You know, the UConn tied in. Justin Jolly says he's not coming to Tennessee this weekend anymore. We'll see what happens there. Um, and then Juice Wells, I feel like, is the hottest topic uh, when it comes to Tennessee and the transfer portal. So we'll see if Tennessee can land him. That would be absolutely massive. Yeah. I know he's he was banged up this past season, but this dude is a very, very talented wide receiver and would instantly become the top option, I think, right. in Tennessee's passing game. Go back to our conversation last week about how I thought they needed that at number one. And Juice Wells, to me, would be just that. Um, you know, I know Texas was the other team linked. I think there was another report this morning saying a couple other teams were kind of getting involved, too. Uh, I didn't wasn't able to check out to see who that actually what who those teams were but yeah that'll be an interesting one he's supposed to be on Tennessee's campus this weekend um so that'll be one worth tracking and you know one thing I'll I'll say kind of tying in two points of conversation about the nonsense or not the nonsense but the craziness of the portal you know so all the and all these old players it goes hand in hand because all once you're a grad transfer once you've graduated there's no restrictions to how many times you can transfer. So in the past, it's like you graduate and you play like one more year. Yeah. Now you're graduating and playing two or three more years so you can just transfer over and over again. And I think all of that's leading to the portal not ever calming down. Because, um, you know, my, always, my thought had been, well, once these guys use their one free time transfer, you know, everybody's using it immediately. Once you use that, it's going to slow down a little bit. But... I think the grad transfer aspect and the fact that just all these six-year guys and even some seven-year guys still have eligibility uh, is, you know, part of the reason none of that is slowing down. Yeah. Kentucky found their next quarterback from the transfer portal. Yep. That will be Brock Vandegrift, uh, who just spent three years at, in Athens with the Georgia football program. Tough scene there. Stat had to sit behind Stetson Bennett. Then, obviously, Carson Beck comes in, and they got another five-star kid coming in in the current recruiting class. So he heads to Kentucky. So the Wildcats will be doing the transfer portal route uh, for a second straight year right after the Devin Leary experiment took them to a 7-5 and record, 3-5 and in the SEC. Uh, So that's a little bit of interesting news around the SEC and just kind of in Tennessee's neck of the woods. But. Obviously, just thinking about Tennessee's opponents next year. Will Rogers is out of Miss State. We'll see which direction they go. Dylan Gabriel Dylan is out of Oklahoma. Gone, so they'll be starting Jackson Arnold, I would bet. So they'll have a first-year starting quarterback um, going in Norman next year. So I, think I, be- that, that, I believe KJ Jefferson is in that, the portal, but he, he kind of refuted he, yeah, that. Yeah, he was bit, weird so about I'm, it. I think that's a wait and see. Yeah, there was a report that KJ Jefferson was going into the portal. Again, but then how, he does, came K- out how does KJ Jefferson yeah. have possibly <laughs> have eligibility? Same with Dylan Gabriel. No sense. Yes. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel was was Josh Heupel's quarterback at UCF. Dylan Gabriel <laughs> That's has, ridiculous. Let me confirm this. I think Dylan Gabriel's literally been a starting quarterback for five seasons in college football because <laughs> he started from his freshman year. Well, yeah. He got hurt in 21, so... Maybe he got a medical red shirt, but he was the starting quarterback in 2021 and played. He threw 102 passing attempts, so he at least played, what would that be, four or five games? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was Josh Heupel's quarterback his, his first two years, and then he's been a starter each time that, you know, for each season that Josh Heupel has been here. So that's where you get to five. It's crazy. How, it's crazy. I mean, I think I said it in our group chat this week, like, because, you know, uh, obviously when you see him enter the portal, one of your first thoughts is like, what, you know, Tennessee plays at Oklahoma next year. How does that affect that game? And I said to you guys, I was like, I didn't even think Dylan Gabriel had eligibility left. Yeah. So yeah. it literally does yeah. not affect how I viewed a game because I just assumed he wouldn't be Oklahoma's yeah. starting quarterback. That's fantastic. But it's, no, it's it's pretty crazy. And 
I don't know. Maybe it'll uh, maybe it'll calm down at some point. For all of your Tennessee-related transfer portal needs and desires, head over to RockyTopInsider.com as we are doing our best uh, to bring you the latest news and kind of the transfer portal world. Obviously, the players that Tennessee is directly linked to, but also the players that Tennessee, I don't know, could possibly be linked to down the road. Just maybe some some notable stories from around the SEC, some notable stories from around the rivals that Tennessee has. So if you want to go ahead and check out any of the latest in college football news, uh, that is somewhat linked to Tennessee in some kind of way. Head over to RockyTopInsider.com. By the way, uh, Derek Mason takes yeah. the job at Middle. Spoke about Middle. Second Middle Tennessee reference on the podcast today. Yeah, that's My, right. I guess that's a new Go record. Blue Raiders. It's a new record. And there was a, uh, Derek Mason heading there. And it's important to note, I mean, there was a f- absolutely fake tweet that Tim Banks was taking the job, but there were also some legitimate there were real leaking yeah, rumors yeah, yeah. of I Banks he, doing I think some it interviews. was pretty legitimately yeah. reported that he did interview. Yeah, Tony Basilio. Yeah, uh, a contender. I think John Bryce yeah. uh, confirmed that report too. So, yeah, it you know that was going to be something interesting to watch. But um, yeah, that's uh, an interesting hire. I mean, I don't know if there's any MTSU listeners. Or MTSU fan listeners, but you know I couldn't really get a vibe on Derek Mason because it's like he's been a head coach once and he wasn't very good, but he was also at a place that's extremely hard to win. So it's kind of hard to say what caliber of head coach he is. So it'll be interesting to see how he does at MTSU, and obviously, just in general, I think it would have been interesting because Rick Stockstill was at MTSU for like twenty years, yeah, one of the longest, 18. one of the longest tender, tenured coaches in all college football. So it'll be interesting to see how that program fares now moving forward. There you go. That is the latest in college football. All right. Going back to, what was that, Tuesday? Tuesday, Tuesday night yes. right here in, uh, what's the what's the phrase we're using for it? TBAAFCC. TBAAFCC. Jack, I will say, and I don't know if you've seen it because it's been during a couple things while I think you've had other things going on. Ryan is telling everybody who will possibly listen that Jack Foster came up with the greatest with the best, uh, the acronym <laughs> yep. that he's ever heard. I, he will tell Love the it. janitor on the <laughs> way in. That. He'll awesome. tell the other True. beat writers. I, I even think, you know, we watched practice on, what was that, Monday or Tuesday? Monday. We yeah. watched practice on Monday. At one point, Ryan ran onto the court just in the <laughs> middle of practice. He said, announcement, Jack says. So he, he really is trying to tell and everybody. That was before he went 90% at the free throw line, right? Yes, it was not 90%. It was 78%. 100% apparently. Pretty good still. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Fine, we'll give you the public chops. You made you made, you made like thirty six out of 50. It's pretty I mean, good. You're, this guy's math over here. So one of the worst mathematicians I've ever that's I've ever true. seen. No, it is. It's, that's not. I've had a bad you, stretch. No, you've I'm had not one of the worst mathematicians ever. You've had four mind-numbingly bad trying to do math in your head in the last three weeks. No, what? What did I just say? I said thirty-six out of fifty. Isn't that what you what you did? No, thirty-nine. I I just said seventy-eight. Thirty-six. All you had to do was all you had to do was seventy-eight divided by two. And I get that's not as bad as some of your other math miscues. So but that's it's clearly not thirty-six. <laughs> Whatever, and it was thirty nine. It was thirty nine. This is a this is quite the big uh, uh, this is quite the big burst for a three point difference or a three shot difference. Uh, I was pretty close. I guess I with Ryan here. I mean, come on, what seventy eight divided by two? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the other, you got to do thirty six times two. I mean, that's if you can't do thirty six times two in four to five seconds, like max, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Thirty-six times two, seventy-two percent. By the way, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. All right, we don't need to talk about this anymore. Let's move on to the actual basketball. Um, you know what? What? What stats we don't have to debate though? 
was that Jonas Adu had a great game on Tuesday, and I think yep. he's really kind of finding his stride. That's been something we've talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks, just sort of writing over on RocketTopInsider.com. But you go against a, a Zach Eady and a Hunter Dickinson and a Baycott, all kind of back-to-back-to-back, and you're going to come out of that swinging on the other side, and that's certainly what Jonas Adu is doing. You know, Rick Barnes, I, I think maybe some of the players have said it, but people in the building are, are, are trying to tell Jonas Adu, hey, you are every bit as good as the others, and we need you to play like that. And, and j- something that Jonas talked about on really two separate occasions this week was that he is starting to find that confidence. And, and I think some of it is obviously from his play on the court. And, and look, you score 17 points and nearly have a double-double. That's going to give you confidence. But I do think that also the things that are being said in the building, his play against these other players, seeing how those all kind of mesh together, I think that's the other kind of half to this this combination for Jonas's Adu, Jonas Adu's success uh, here in the early portion of the season. But he was fantastic against George Mason, I believe, 17 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, uh, and a blocker or something along yeah, those one, lines. one block. One block. So he, he was great and really kind of the standout story of the week. No, I agree. He continues to keep playing the best basketball of his career and, and just getting more comfortable on the offensive end. I mean, I think we saw it the first couple of games. He was really good defensively, and you're seeing more consistency maybe from what we already saw on what he did on the defensive end of the floor last year. And look, you know, I think one of Rick Barnes' flaws as a coach is that he can oftentimes not do a very good job of building the confidence of his players up. And I think you've got to give him credit now for what he's doing, which I say do, which is clearly – building his confidence up yeah. and boosting it. I mean, Jonas Adu held his own in those games. Jonas Adu is still clearly not as good as Armando Baycott and Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson when you saw them play. And Rick Barnes leaves these games saying, no, you're just as good as them. And <laughs> I, I think that confidence has been really important, to your point, Rick, uh, for Jonas Adu. And, you know, I, I said this on our little post-game video on the floor uh, after the game. You know, he's still kind of limited in what he can do offensively. I don't think he's going to become like a go-to guy, a go-to scorer for Tennessee but the thing that to me to what stands out the most, and like the other night he scored, what was it, 17 or 18 points? 17. And he hit, and he hit two threes. He's not going to hit two threes. Most when he gets wide open and sets his feet. I mean, he, he, he can, can he can make shots. Yes, he can make three-pointers. When, when he had that corner three and he says feet, like, this is going in. He can make three-pointers. So I'm not trying to say like he's never going to hit shots. But he's – I'll set the over-under at games this rest of the year that he hits two three-pointers at one and a half, and I will take the under. Um, <laughs> but he just looks comfortable on yeah. the offensive end. He just looks like he's not panicked. Like, he's confident in what he's doing. Like, the game's not moving too fast for him. And uh, I think that's really important. And, you know, you saw them throw the ball into him the other night. And, you know, I feel like a lot of times in the past, they throw it into Jones and say, dude, he's going to shoot it. Just because, like, he doesn't get all that many touches and he just doesn't know exactly what is expected out of him. And he just played with a good pace and a good calmness. And sometimes he passed it out and he moved the ball around. And other times he's shot and scored. So uh, he's, again, continues to be really impressive and you know one of my takes about Tennessee going into the offseason it was that you know they lose Olivier Kamwa and I think everybody thought losing Euros Plossus was a good thing you know I thought losing Olivier Kamwa was going to be a good thing for both sides and I thought it was going to be good just because of the standpoint is I thought it would force Rick Barnes to play Jonas Adu and play Tobey Awaka more like he didn't have a choice he was going to have to play those guys and I thought those guys would be better from getting more minutes and being able to play through mistakes and learn from it and just get in the flow of the game. I think we've completely seen that with Jonas Adu, less with Tobey Awaka because he's kind of been in and out of the lineup battling some injuries, and when he's played, he's been a little bit hurt. But again, I think you're going to continue to see that with Tobey Awaka too. Still a board machine. Seven rebounds in 11 minutes. Yeah, seven (laughs) rebounds and a career-high 11 points in, in, you know, what was it, 10 or 11 minutes? 11. 11 minutes the other night was was pretty crazy. So, uh, again, I think I've said it on here last week. 
Tennessee's lost some games early in the season, and there's frustration with that. I still continue to think, like, most of these pieces, I'm still high on the pieces. And I think as Tennessee gets healthier and the guys are able to play more together and mesh, uh, I think you're going to see a Tennessee team that's going to continue to get better and uh, be really uh, a real force in SEC play. Yeah, one of the standout thoughts to me coming out of Tuesday's game was just the word synergy, right? It was a lot of synergy on the court, whether it was from – uh, the guards and the way that they were able to get the ball down low to those big guys are just sort of the efficiency that the big guys use down low in the paint. And look, George Mason, I mean, some people are going to look at the box score or listen to us talk about it and they're say, hey, you're taking a few too many takeaways away from George Mason. But, hey, George Mason is a quality team, and especially in the paint. They've got a good defensive presence in the paint down low. Tennessee was really able to take advantage of them despite them being good in that area. I, I think you could just really tell that everything was kind of working together. Now, there are certainly some places that I, I think are – going to be fascinating to watch uh but i really like the way that tennessee's guards played uh they were able to get the ball down low like you said the the big guys didn't panic when they had the ball didn't kind of just make a knee-jerk decision and and put up a a bad shot or something like that they're able to find the ball maybe get a dribble down maybe pass the ball out uh but one of the other noteworthy things coming out of the game on tuesday and ryan this was one of the things that i think you maybe found or hit before anybody else was that tennessee doubled maybe even more than doubled their assist average in that one game, and again, that to me just shows how how in sync everybody was on the court, uh, especially the big guy or the 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 guards getting the forwards the ball down low. No, hundred percent. Yeah, it was thirteen, a little bit over thirteen is how many assists they were averaging a game. They'd only had one other game where they'd had over twenty assists, and that was the season opener against Tennessee Tech. They had twenty seven assists on what I believe was thirty two made baskets uh, against George Mason and. You know, Tennessee's been a really heavy assist team. Their percentage of their baskets being assisted on under Rick Barnes' era. I think it's oh, – I had all the numbers in a story I wrote. I can't remember exactly. But the last two years, they were number two and number six. Okay. And there's – you know, there's pros and cons with that. I think part of the reason – you want to share the ball, but part of the reason Tennessee was so high is they just haven't had a lot of good isolation scores. Well, Tennessee does have better isolation scores this year, and that's a good thing. You need guys in those in-the-game situations, in the shot clock situations that can go get a bucket themselves, and they don't have anything to create – so you don't necessarily need Tennessee to get to that number, but I still think Tennessee's offense is going to be at its best when it's moving the basketball a lot and it's able to get a lot of guys involved and the ball's not sticking and it doesn't become stagnant. And that's what we saw by, you know, to the best degree all season against George Mason. And there's going to be those games like we saw in that Kansas game where when shots aren't going in for guys, you know, you need somebody to be able to step up and say, all right, I'm going to go score. Shots aren't going in for guys today. And I think Dalton Connect, I continue to think he's going to be able to be that for this team. Um, but, I, again, that's just one of those things where I think Tennessee has a good balance there. Um, so the more you see the assist numbers go up, for the most part, I think that's a good thing. And especially I think it kind of coincides with Zakai Ziegler playing better. And to me, the last really three halves, but, you know, two games going back to North Carolina, he's looked much better, yeah. much more like himself. Um, he played yeah. six assists and one turnover six against – yeah, against George Mason the other night. So he's continuing to get back more in the fold. And, you know, he's again, he's the only point guard, true point guard on the roster. So the more he plays, the more you would expect the assist numbers and the assist percentages on baskets to go up. Would you like a fill-in-the-blank question? Ooh, yeah, sure. I think I know my answer, so I think ours are probably going to line up. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James is playing his best, best basketball since... I'm saying of his career. There you go. Yeah. I think so, too. I mean, the only other comparable rate would be... Really, from the time Olivier Kamwa went down in the 2020, 2021-22 yeah. season. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
which was like the first weekend of February down in, in South Carolina. James was just fantastic the rest of the year. It was a big reason why Tennessee won that SEC tournament. The reason I would say he's been better now, and I haven't looked at the numbers comparing all of it, but he the reason one of the reasons he was so good then is he was just he was shooting the ball fantastic. Lights he, out. He's a career, you know, thirty low thirty percent three point shooter, and he shot like forty percent the last six weeks of the season. Well, you're seeing him be good this year without just being a fantastic three point shooter and a fantastic shooter as as a whole. I mean, he's shooting well right now from three point range. He's shooting well right now from the field, but he's scoring at the basket. Uh, at a higher clip than he ever has in his career, and he's just getting more guys involved. And I think more than anything is, is there's just been more consistency uh, with what he's been able to do. And he's fully healthy again. You know, he was battling injuries all last year, and I think, you know, I think there was some frustration that he wasn't playing at times. But it was clear when Josiah Jordan James played last year that he was not at full health. Like yeah. his athleticism was significantly down, and his rebounding numbers were down, which to me was probably the most significant sign. His ability to guard guards was not, he wasn't as effective doing that as he was in his career. And to me, the moment that was going back to Orlando in that Louisiana Lafayette game, Tennessee had a, he had a breakaway dunk. No one near him. And he like could barely dunk it. I mean, he might not even have dunked it. He might have just laid it in. Like it was clear his athleticism uh, was not at the right spot. He finally had a full off season where he was healthy. Um, and to this point in the season, he's been, Really, really good, and he's been pretty darn consistent. He, I guess he didn't play great offensively in the Purdue and Kansas games. That was also three straight games where he played 34 minutes in three days. That probably didn't help things. So, again, with I think a lot of the veteran players on this team, you just want to see consistency because they've shown flashes of being really good at times. Um, but it's hard not to like what Josiah Jordan James has done for Tennessee this year. He scored in double figures in six of what they've played nine games now, eight, eight games, and, and he scored. Uh, in five of eight games, he scored in double figures. So uh, he's he's playing at a high level right yeah, now. Yeah, he's he's averaging the the second most uh, points per game for Tennessee right now, and he's also got the highest three point percentage clip. And I know that was something that you just talked about, and you know certainly one of the one of the great components to his success previously. It's obviously one of the the components to his success currently, but it just kind of even expanding on and piggybacking off of your point, Ryan. He, he just seems so. Uh, we've always known that he's a Swiss Army knife, right, uh, on yeah. the court. But he just seems even more a little bit versatile right now. He, he just seems like all of those positions are coming easy to him, that he can kind of just, it's almost just kind of flow like water, right? From one position to the next, from one spot on the court to the next, he just seems comfortable and locked in. So I think that is a reason why you're getting a little bit better for three-point percentage. I think that is why you see him attacking the hoop a little bit more. I do think that's why you see him with just more all-around stats. I mean, he's averaging 6.6 rebounds per game right now, which is second on the team. It's pretty darn good. And so I, I really like the way that he's been playing. Uh, he's averaging just about two steals per game, which is hey, two big, uh, two big possessions that Tennessee gets in their favor. Uh, he, he has really impressed me right off the jump in these first eight games. Yeah, and Dalton, again, I've, I've said it before, but Dalton Connect helps him a ton. I think on the offensive yeah. end, he it takes pressure off of him to score, and he's you know getting the second best wing defender on all these teams guarding him instead of the best wing defender. So uh, I think that's helped. I think a lot of guys uh, on this Tennessee team are being helped offensively by Dalton Connect. Just the pressure is now kind of taken off of them. A lot of these guys were kind of forced to do more than what they were on the offensive end the last two years, especially last year when they didn't have Kennedy Chandler. I think Connect is taking a lot off those guys' plates. So, yeah, he's playing at a high level. And, man, uh, yeah, I guess we'll go and lead into the Illinois game on Saturday. Going to be an awesome, awesome wing test. I mean, Terrence yeah, Shannon. Terrence Shannon is, you know, maybe the best wing in the country, and Marcus Domask too uh, is 
another really good wing, Southern Illinois transfer. Uh, both of those guys scored 32 uh, on Tuesday night in Illinois' win at Madison Square Garden over FAU. So you talk about those two guys matching up with Dalton Connect and Josiah Jordan-James. Uh, that'll make for a, a really, really fun matchup. Yeah, it's going to be great. What time's that? 1 o'clock p.m.? Noon. Noon. Noon Eastern time oh, on uh, CBS. Let's go. What was I thinking of? What, what's coming up at 1 p.m.? Uh, Something's coming up at 1 p.m. Army-Navy starts later in the day, right? Yeah, I think it's the lead into Army-Navy. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know what's at 1 p.m. There's, yeah, there's a lot of good games on on Saturday. I'm something else. There's uh, a lot of good games on on is Saturday. There, is there a wrestling program on at 1? <laughs> no. We keep that wrestling in the primetime slot. Come on, now. Thank you. No, hey, yeah. it's pay-per-view. Yeah, exactly. Again? Pay that money. Uh, well, technically, no. Oh, it's okay. uh, it's streaming. It's on, it's on Peacock. But if there is a pay-per-view this weekend? No. Oh, okay. No, there won't be for a while. Gotcha. They just had one. Saturday's going to be a lot of fun. Noon, we will be there. We'll be covering the whole thing. It will be number 17, Tennessee versus... Number 20. Number 20, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Okay, I was making sure that Tennessee wasn't number 20. I was like, no, wait, no, I, no, I think yes. they're 17. Yes, you're I gotta, correct. I uh, Tennessee's, uh, so you're going to have 17 versus 20 on the basketball court in Knoxville this weekend. Then you're going to have 17 versus 21 that? on the football field coming up on New Year's Day in the Citrus Bowl. Okay. All right, I have a question. Go for it. Shoot. Is this like George Mason, coach, said it's maybe the hardest non-conference schedule he's ever seen that Tennessee has played. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, that's hard for me to say. Obviously ever, but when you look at yes. Tennessee past. He said in history. That was crazy. Yeah, I mean, to this point, like, whatever they are, nine, nine games in the season, 100%. I, I would almost think that they really threw nine games or ten games if you're going to include Illinois in it because they're a top-20 team. It might be. It's probably one of the yeah, hardest I mean, ever. You got it's nasty. Illinois ranked, road trip to Wisconsin, and then the number one and number two teams. of Syracuse not as good, but still. You know, it's Syracuse, so. Yeah, yeah. and it, it'll calm down for Tennessee after this. I mean, they they get North Carolina State in and San Antonio, uh, you know, so that's a quality opponent, but they're not great. And, and the rest of the way, it's a lot of bad Yeah, the, so. the next four after Illinois up leading until the Ole Miss SEC opener on January 6th is Georgia Southern, NC State, Tarleton State, and Norfolk State. So you got to think that Tennessee can kind of pad the win-loss record uh, leading into conference play after that. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a – uh, Ken Palm disciple more than I am an AP, <laughs> you really an AP are. Poll. Uh, <laughs> but the team since he's played so far, Purdue's number two in Ken Palm, Wisconsin. That win keeps on looking better. I mean, Wisconsin's yeah. playing really well. They're number 11. They beat Marquette on Saturday, turned around and beat Michigan State uh, in the Big Ten opener on Tuesday night. Kansas, number 12. North Carolina, number 15. Illinois, number 14. Syracuse is 102. So obviously, they're, pre- they're Syracuse is lower on Ken Palm than George Mason is by a couple spots. Um, but you're talking about a Tennessee team that has played. Well, on Saturday, they will have played five top 15 teams in the country in their first 10 games. So that's a massive test, and only one of those games has been at home, and two of them have been true road games. So yeah. that's you know those are really, really challenging games, and uh, that'll, that'll have them well-prepared uh, for SEC play. It does get, like I said, a little bit easier to play. Georgia Southern is one of the worst teams in college basketball, NC State, Tarleton State, and Norfolk State before they open up SEC play on January 6th against Mississippi State. And I think that's going to be important, too, because I think Tennessee needs to be able to keep uh, building some depth and getting some of these freshmen and young players coming along because uh, the style of play they're playing right now, which is to say fast on the offensive end and long, drawn-out possessions on the defensive end, that expends a lot of energy out of players. Uh, so 
they're going to need to have a lot. Their answer to doing that and why they think they can do that is because they think they have a lot of depth, and they do. Uh, I just think they need to continue to be able to develop those back-end. So you end, can rely on the depth. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. those back-end depth pieces. Because I think right now they got probably, I don't know, let's see. Let's go through officially. I'd say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'd say they have truly eight trustworthy depth pieces. Depth, or eight trustworthy players. So it's the five that started against George Mason, Tobey, Jemai, and Ganey? Yes. Okay. And, you know, usually you got eight guys. I mean, that's plenty. Like, yeah. you can roll with that. Uh, but if they're going to play like this, I think they need to keep on bringing a couple other guys around. And, you know, I think the obvious people to point to uh, are the, the freshman and Freddie DeLeon, yeah. probably yeah. number one because of his talent, I think, could bring something to this Tennessee team, uh, another scoring element, and then the two big men, J.P. Estrella and Cade Phillips. They at least need one of those guys uh, to become a, who, a reliable piece. Who do you think is look better, Cade or J.P.? I like Cade more for this team. I think Cade yeah, embraces the role-player aspect that this team needs. I think J.P. Estrella's ceiling's probably higher, but Cade Phillips gets in there and does the nitty-gritty stuff. He rebounds, he plays good defense. And not to say J.P. Estrella can't do that, but Cade Phillips just does that at a really high level. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, real quick, according to uh, Joe Lenardi's last, um, what is this, Bracketology Projection Tennessee, a three-seed in the West region, uh, which would be pretty wild. That game is in Los Angeles way down the road. Uh, Second w- weekend in Los Angeles, for what it's worth. Yeah, that yeah, wouldn't yeah. be the opening weekend, necessarily. Opening weekend, they have uh, they have Tennessee in Indianapolis, which yeah. is a place that we've been to before. Won't share the stories from that trip. Oh, it was gosh. a little bit forgettable, as uh, we had some some uh, food poisoning uh, run through the uh, run through the uh, the RTI uh, uh, car, yeah, train, whatever hotel room, yeah, hotel room. Uh, so we had some food poisoning run through our last trip to Indianapolis. But nonetheless, it was fun. Uh, guys, I think that's going to about wrap it up uh, for us for two reasons. Number one, we're approaching an hour. Number two, my computer's going to die here soon. So hey. got to wrap this thing up. But we've gone on for, again, just about an hour. We've pretty much talk, uh, talked about every aspect of each team that we can. Uh, we even had a little Lady Balls action at the beginning of the day. So really, uh, really nice job by us. Any other kind of wrap-up thoughts as we... Uh, move into the final stretch of the week. Tennessee takes on Illinois in uh, Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center coming up this Saturday at noon. We will be there. Any other final thoughts? Nothing for me. Florida State got jobbed. You saying that we're going to be here for 15 more minutes. No? I know, but I want I want to I want to get it on air. There you and go. I know Rick disagrees, so. There you go. I disagree, but not enough to not enough to to argue it or to or to have the conversation. But it's going to wrap it up for us today. Gentlemen, thank you very much for all your hard work and everything you do for the show and the website. Speaking of the website, you can head over to RockyTopInsider.com each and every day for the latest Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. We are covering Tennessee men's basketball and football right now. Of course, baseball just around the corner in a couple months as well. So we got everything locked in over at RockyTopInsider.com. As always, if you want to follow Jack Foster, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. If you want to follow Ryan Shumpert, you can do that at rshump 0 If you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But, of course, just make sure you're following at Rocky Top Insider each and every day on every social media platform out there. We are on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. You can go find us at Rocky Top Insider and all of those. But, of course, just make sure you're checking out the website each and every day. Until then, we are going to head out. We got more work to do today. We'll see you on Saturday for a post-game show. You can go and find that over on the Rocky Top Insider YouTube account. Uh, But we will have you covered for that game. For Jack, for Ryan, I'm Rick. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast.